back to Life North of the 54th. I'm Garrett Brown. And I am Preston Brown. We'll welcome you back to uh, our first episode of Season 3. And today we have with us a friend of ours, Alex Przinski, and we will let him introduce himself. Hey everybody, this is, my name is Alex Przinski. Thank you for having me on here, and I'm I'm excited to discuss my life and talk with you guys about my experiences living in the peace country. Thanks for joining us, Alex, and for making your podcast debut. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. So Alex, what comes to mind when you think about the peace country and you reflect on life growing up in the peace country? I think lots of stuff comes up to mind. I know living in the peace country for lots of people, I've always talked to and they've had some really good experiences, some bad experiences. But I think for myself, I've had a lot of really good experiences. Most of my family on my mom's side lives there. And I've had really good friends like you guys and other people from church and from school. For me, it was, it's been, been a good experience living there. I am glad where I live right now. I live in Spruce Grove, closer to Edmonton. I still get that little, that small town feel but closer to Edmonton and stuff like that if I need to go into town. So, yeah. Yeah, you were born in Grand Prairie, if I remember right, eh? Yep. I was born in Grand Prairie. My parents moved from Chicago to Grand Prairie. So, yeah, that's where I was born. Man, what on earth would take somebody from Chicago to Northwestern Alberta? (laughs) Yeah, it's quite the move. Do you know? Yeah, it is actually a pretty good story. So my dad was born and raised in Chicago area. I don't know exactly where, I don't remember right now, but so he was born and raised there. And my mom immigrated from Poland when she was about 18 years old to Chicago. That's where she kind of was living. Yeah, eventually they met up and started dating and got married and stuff like that. And a lot of my mom's side of the family immigrated directly from Poland, from Europe area, to Grand Prairie and so they were living there and saying how awesome it is how there's lots of opportunities and they had started their own businesses there and things like that so my parents were like hey let's go visit and see how actually like nice it is and stuff like that so they went and visited and I remember them telling me that they woke up their first morning and they turned on the radio and They didn't hear a single thing on the radio about any murders happening during the night. And so they're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is a peaceful place. Let's live here. Like, it's good for families. There's no murders happening. Right? Not not as bad as Chicago. (laughs) And so, um, and then, like, all my family were there. So they decided that they would move. So they eventually moved to Grand Prairie. And, yeah, that's where I was born. So. Yeah. And do you know what year they moved? Like around 93 or okay. so. I was born in 94. So a little bit before then. Yeah. So I believe 93, maybe 92. I don't know exact date, but. Yeah, I have not been to Chicago, but I've heard, you know, sometimes rough things about it. <laughs> Chicago is nice. It always depends on where you go. Yeah. There's always rough neighborhoods. Same with Grand Prairie, same with Edmonton. There's rough neighborhoods, there's the good neighborhoods, but Chicago's nice. I like there the good food and had lots of my family live there, so it's nice. But yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. So Alex, do you have any uh early memories of growing up in the Grand Prairie area that you would like to share? Early memories. 
lots of my memories are with you guys. We always had sleepovers together, and that was always lots of fun. We always played tons of video games. I used to play so many video games, but I don't anymore because I have kids, and there's lots of stuff to do. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I have lots of memories and just spending time, like, because my family, lots of my family are from there, so lots of memories with family members and doing lots of get-togethers and stuff like that. So, yeah. I also remember a lot of the sleepovers. I think probably most of the sleepovers that I had as a as a kid and teenager were probably at your place compared to any other house in, in Grand Prairie. <laughs> yeah, we, we, were, we spent a lot of time together. Yeah, it was pretty good. I always remember this, and it was so interesting to me. Whenever I would go to your guys' house, it always seemed like you, everyone always had like they always move rooms. You guys would always <laughs> change and make it, you know, different. And I was like, oh, where are we going to be sleeping today? Or where are we hanging out today? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes everyone would be sleeping in the same room, and then you guys would have separate rooms. And then, yeah, it was that was always cool. Well, you never shared a room because you didn't have any brothers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, but it was cool that you guys could do that. Yeah, I don't know why we did that. I mean, it was nice to change things up, that's for sure. For example, at one point, Travis, Preston, and I all shared a room together and three people in a room. It was a fairly large bedroom, but after a while, you kind of want your own space again, especially as Preston and Travis can say, it was not a very still sleeper in the night, and <laughs> there were lots of elbows to the face. That, never my face, but <laughs> <laughs> never my face because Travis would sleep in the middle because he was the biggest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was nice though. It was also nice in that old farmhouse to have the space to change rooms. I guess the other thing is, depending on whether or not it was summer or winter, made some rooms much more livable than others for that place. That's true. Yeah. I remember good memories of of your guys' house. Is it still standing right now? Most of it. Yeah, I think the original part of it. Yeah. Anything with green carpet, if you know what I mean, it's not there anymore. (laughs) Yeah, or the tin roof. All the tin roof is gone. Yeah, your parents built a nice new house. It was a nice place. Yeah, it was much better. Had actual insulation. (laughs) Had three pane windows. Yeah. The windows didn't frost up. An actual basement. <laughs> it didn't have a third floor basement. Yeah, we built that. Why well, I, I didn't build it. I helped. I think one day you guys built that like retaining wall in the back. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the new house. Yeah, yeah. I remember helping with that. I was like when I, I think I just came home from my mission or something like that. Yeah, because I obviously wasn't on go out yet, but I had the experience that I knew how to do concrete forming from work yeah as a quick aside that was probably the only engineering project i've actually worked on it was a lot of fun especially since we're trying to build this retaining wall and so preston and i have been working construction we know like okay well we need concrete and we need rebar and we can order concrete but getting rebar for a small project is difficult but we knew we knew a contractor in town that had a lot of extra rebar it just happened to be 25 millimeter rebar 
which is huge. <laughs> That's pretty thick. Yeah, so we just got what they would give us. Yeah, that retaining wall is very sturdy because we we put 25 bell rebar, 12 inches on center, on 10 inches wide concrete. <laughs> it's mostly metal on pi- on piles. Like yeah, that's true. Instead of making footings uh, or something like that, we just we went like six feet down with an auger so that we had. Anyway, there's a lot of concrete. Actually. Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. Nice. I, yeah, I didn't remember that you were there to help us with that. So I guess thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah, a, a lot of memories that I have at our place with you, Alex, is the, well, we had a whole bunch of pallets that we would try, I guess, we're not highly motivated to repair and and sell or be, I guess, reuse. And so they were just a huge stack of, Piles of pallets, like thousands of them, I think. Definitely hundreds, but it felt like at least a thousand. It was definitely thousands. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. And you, know, you just make fortresses of whatever kind out of them and play on them. I was going to say carefully play on them, but I I think you can only really be so careful when you're running on, on pallets that are stacked like 15 high. And they're like wobbling and you're like, oh, this is so safe. And <laughs> <laughs> I was actually telling my father-in-law that story of how we would be running along the tops of pallets. He's like, holy smokes, how did you guys not die? <laughs> yeah, but those were those were fun. Young and foolish, feeling invincibility. You're so much more agile when you're like 12 to 16 years old. That's true. Bones are so much more flexible. <laughs> We'd use the survey stakes for swords. And was it you or was it Travis who made like a bow? I tried a number of times to make a bow. I was motivated to try and get like a wooden bow that I'd made myself, but didn't have the patience for the craftsmanship of it. And I also didn't have the expertise to build like a a mold. Because what I understand is you have to mold it a certain way so that when you bend it, that's where you get the flex and the power from. Right. So it's bow shaped, sort of like semicircle shaped. And you would want to basically make it so that it's, bowed the other way so that when you bend it together and attach the string, then that's where you get the tensile force from. But right. my bow, I think, was just a flexible piece of wood that was not like anti-flex. It was, there was not very much tensile strength or like tensile force or pressure or something in it. Right. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of hard work to make a bow actually work, right? Yeah. Uh, lots of slivers, though. You know, holding on to the survey stakes and like hitting each other. Not not really each other. Sword fighting. Yes. Sword fighting, always parrying, not really inclined to actually hit each other. Cause that would hurt. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it's not fun anymore. <laughs> I remember, I, I have a memory that uh, I was sword fighting David Woodruff at your place. And I accidentally hit David on the hand. While we're sword fighting, and your dad was like right next to us. He got super mad at me. I remember that. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. But it was all good. Do you guys remember when we would build forts in that back forest area, and then we do slingshots with paintballs? And... Yep, a poor man paintballs yeah. range. <laughs> you were so good, Preston. At... Just always pegging people from like hundreds of yards away, it seemed like. It seemed like, but it probably was only like 50 yards. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, best. just 50. <laughs> Seems bigger. I think my favorite thing about using slingshots to th- throw paintballs instead of CO2-powered paintball guns is just the reload time. You can have a standoff between two people that are only like 15 yards apart, and you're just waiting and waiting because if you shoot and miss, then the other person can get closer than 15 yards chasing you down. But also you can't squeeze your paintball too hard or you'll blow it up inside your, your little sling. <laughs> It's a completely different dynamic than constantly hiding behind things. And those balls curved so bad when you <laughs> shot them out of the sling, out of the slingshot. It was crazy. It was like, you have no idea where it's going to go. That's why I was always so impressed with Preston. Cause it was like, he just like destroy people from so far away. And I was like, <laughs> he, he had a magic touch or something. I don't yeah. Know. Just trying to understand how you grip it to hold it. And then when it spins out like a musket ball, it does sometimes have a pattern. More focus, more care, more precision. More luck. Right. <laughs> luck, yeah. I remember like we had a few scouting or cup activities. And I think there was one in particular. It was a scouting activity, I think. And Alex, your dad was in like part of the scout leadership. But you were there. So you were like, you know, four years younger than the scouts. But you were there and your dad was taking video. He had a camcorder or something. Uh-huh. And there's this particular video where... So your dad had a camcorder, and one of the other scouts, Bradley Caulfield, was there. Your dad was taking video. And on the video, Bradley's like, I'm going to go see the goats. Because we had goats at one point in, in our acreage life. And on this video, Alex, you're just like, I don't know, six, six or seven years old. And you're like, no, Bradley, they have horns. <laughs> Very adorable. Thanks for that memory, yeah. too, Alex. I do remember that. I, like... I don't remember it per se, but I remember watching and hearing that. So yeah, that's pretty funny. On top of the many like changing faces of that acreage that went from, you know, old farmhouse and boneyard to new farmhouse and tidied up stacks of pellets here, goats here, chickens here, cows, sheep, 4-H stuff, just like stuff would just come and go over the years to that place. There's always changing. Yeah, always something new happening. Yeah. I always remember, like, I'm sure it was your dad, but he would make those, like, ginormous piles of wood. I remember him, like, throwing out, I think it was, like, kerosene or something. And then he had, like, a pen flare. He would, like, shoot it, and it would explode, and then we have a big bonfire. Do you guys remember that at all, or? Oh, yes. Yeah, it was, I guess, colloquially called Condi. It was, like, the condensate. Yes. It's like a paint thinner kind of product. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when you extract oil out of the ground, you get the oil, but you also get a bunch of water just from underground water or water that was used in the process of extraction. So the water would be the most dense and it would sit on the bottom. And then the oil would be the least dense and it would sit on top when you let it separate. And then in the middle, there's this like condensate stuff. Yeah. So they would use condensate in pipelines if the oil was really viscous. They could mix the condensate with it to make it easier to pump through the pipelines. And then when they get it to process, they can easily separate it. That's kind of cool. So you can have like huge volumes of it because it's just, you know, full of like hundreds of miles of pipelines. You would just get like oil jumps at this stuff. That's why we use it all the time to burn. I think that's where I met your wife for the first time. It was like around Christmas. There was like... A bunch of, I think it was a YSA or youth or something, and your dad had a big bonfire by the by those big hill, those hills that we would sled on. It'd be your wife, Garrett, not my wife, because 
Yes, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, it had to have been Christmas because we've only spent one Christmas together in Grand Prairie. But I, I don't think you were even married yet. I think it was like... No, it would have been 2015. We're introducing your family to her. Yeah, it would have been 2015. Yeah. Yeah, it was the only time that she was up there. Nice. Yeah. Because after that, she felt like maybe spending Christmas so far north is not as great as spending Christmas not so far north. <laughs> That's pretty... Yeah, where's her family from? Uh, Missouri, the Kansas City area. Yeah. So, Definitely as farther north. Not as cold. Not as cold <laughs> in the winter. <laughs> you already get five and a half hours of daylight at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. The best part about the trip for her, though, in terms of like experiencing the north, was that we drove up from Edmonton to Grand Prairie, and it got dark. If you only have five hours of daylight, then you're unless you spend the whole daylight driving, right? You're gonna have to drive in the dark on your way to Grand Prairie. But it was fantastic. Northern Lights show. Oh, nice! You could start seeing the Northern Lights probably somewhere between White Court and Fox Creek, and then. They lasted like all, all their whole drive home. And we even stopped outside of Byzantine for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes to see them and just watch them. And it was just a fantastic, like full sky display. It was, it was pretty very cool. romantic. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And especially for her, she'd never seen like Aurora before. So to get a show like that, it's like basically now, it's like, how do you top that yeah. now? Now she had to get married. Get a multi-hour display. <laughs> So that there's a slight chance of going back that far right. north. <laughs> I do remember dad telling us that whenever we were going to have a bonfire like that, he'd have to tell the county fire department because, of course, you have a big bonfire. It just lights up the night. And those bonfires that my dad would put on were like, like it was the size of a shed. Like we were burning stuff the size of a shed or bigger. Yeah, they were massive. Uh, of just like scrap wood. It definitely lights up the sky and can be quite concerning if you're driving down the road. And it's like, oh, there's a massive fire over there. I hope somebody's house is fine. We'd always burn it at night so you could see the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. And usually in winter, too. Lots of snow nearby. No, less fire bands. Yeah, that acreage was a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun sharing it with our friends. Yeah. How many acres did you guys have? It was 19. 19. It felt so ginormous back then. But now when I'm older and it's like, oh, 19 acres, which is still a lot of land, but it's... It's also not a lot of land as well, but back then it was just huge. I just remember there was so much space and we could go anywhere and do anything and explore and that was fun. Our neighbor to the south, I don't know how much land he had, but we didn't have a fence between our lands, so it did feel bigger. And he was, of course, kind enough to let us wander. Yeah, of course, we wouldn't do anything damaging or anything like that. And then the swamp bog to the north. I honestly have no idea who owns that land. It's not very useful for productivity. One of the Tim Jones's son owns it still. Oh, does he? The oldest. It's like a hundred acres of muskeg. It's pretty useless. <laughs> yeah, pretty useless for development, but development, agriculture, it's like pretty good to do with that. Uh, but if you want to hunt moose, then that's your spot to hunt moose. <laughs> yeah, in that, that little area, you're right, Alex. Nineteen acres is is a lot. But compared to the neighbors across the road where they had like full quarter sections or sections, who knows how much land they had. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not a lot. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, we spent a lot of time at your place too. It was pretty exciting when you guys put an addition on your house uh, above the garage and you got like that second 
sort of living room space? We always called it the new living room. Even like as long as we've lived there, we called it the new living room. (laughs) The addition was garage and then living room and then my parents' master bedroom. Oh, you added the garage as well. So that that on the side of my house used to be a really long driveway. So they had to tear that all up, put piles down and put the they put the garage and then the addition on top of there. So, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, uh, it was a good spot because that's, my dad got that projector and we had it, the projector on there and we would always play, you know, Super Smash Bros and other games in there, watch movies and stuff like that. That was the place to be and play games and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But the wall, I think the wall was like a light yellow paint. Yeah. Yellow was yellow. One of my mom's Which favorite made... colors, so she she liked colors. So there's yellows and greens, and yeah, yeah. It did make the the projection colors a little strange though, because it was projected onto yellow sometimes. Yes. I think you had a sheet on occasion, but yeah, I definitely like in the summertime because there's so much light. Um, you, you had a, <laughs> you would definitely have to wait sometimes to like watch, but in the winter it was perfect because it was dark quite early and. Yeah, you could use it, and yeah, it was it was good. Yeah. How did you like growing up in town? It's in Grand Prairie Town. And in town, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because I didn't know really any difference other than like being at your guys's place. But in town was good. Like it was close to everything. You know, I could walk to school or bike to school, take the bus. So in town, you, there was everything you needed. And like all my other family members lived in town. So we could visit them quite often. And my grandma would come over quite often. And uh, other family members, and we would visit their place very often and stuff. So yeah, living in town was good. Back then, going to the edge of town, it felt like it took forever. But now the original edge of town is like... There's so much, it's expanded so much. It's crazy how, yeah. Yeah. how where the edge of town is now compared to back then. It's crazy. Yeah. It, I haven't been like hanging out in Grand Prairie and talking with people for a while, but I can't imagine talking to people now and like having a newcomer come in and then saying something like, oh yeah, you take the old bypass past the college or something like that. And it's like, what do you mean bypass? <laughs> like... <laughs> It's like, you mean the town, like the road that runs straight through the middle of town? Is that what you mean by the bypass? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Now it's, I think it's near the airport, isn't it? Something like that? Yeah, what the bypass actually is, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy how much Grand Prairie has grown. I was there a couple weeks ago for my dad's birthday. And yeah, just even those months that in between visits, it gr- keeps growing and growing crazy did you walk to the shops or like the like a convenience store to get candy or like an experience that i never really had as a child just like to be able to go to a shop and like buy candy with my pennies that i found somewhere we would go quite often to like a convenience store there was a convenience store and there was a dollar store and things were actually worth a dollar in the dollar store uh, I remember seeing like this awesome thing, and it was it was the only thing in the store that I could find that was more than a dollar. 
it was like a toy gun or something like that. But yeah, it was, we would walk and I would, or ride my bike and back in the day when you could just leave and your parents wouldn't worry about where you were and you could just go and yeah, we'd go get candies and candies were like I think five cents a piece. You could get a selection and you could get a good amount of candy for cheap and yeah. 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 It was also nice like living in town because I had a few friends that lived pretty close. I could either walk or take my bike and I would just say I'm going to visit my friend Theo, for example, and I'd go and just get over there and knock on the door and say, hey, is Theo home? And we'd hang out or go to the park or whatever. It was nice, too, because like living in town, my first job was uh, I had a paper route, so I could do that and you know, I had more like opportunities like that where I could, you know, work in town and mm-hmm. work for my family and things like that. So, yeah. Did you get a driver's license around 16 and drive? Yeah, I got I got my license basically when I turned 16. So I was able to drive and I remember driving home by myself for the first time. I took my license test at the A1 License Center, which is near... It's like the no frills right now area. Yeah. And I remember finishing the test, passing, getting in the in the car that I was driving, was driving home and going over the bridge. And I forget what street that is. It's not 100th Street. What's that with the bridge? And you go through Muscassippi Park. I don't know. Is it 84th? Oh, yeah, 84th or something. 85th. I don't know. 84th Ave. Uh, anyway. Driving home and just like everything felt new and it was just like driving by myself, got the music playing, all the trees are passing me. It was nice. Yeah. It was, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. I didn't go straight home. I drove a little bit and <laughs> wanted to embrace it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I still rode my bike a lot around town and using like Muscassippi trails and stuff like that. It would, I go quite often with David Woodruff and Junry and Ryan and and stuff like that when I was older. And we would go and we found these trails that weren't like paved trails. So they were dirt and we'd go exploring and, and stuff like that. And we did lots of biking and stuff like that. So try to stay skinny, but not it's not working still, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the things that I remember at your place was being at your place was the first time, probably the first time, but definitely the first multiple times that I attempted or we attempted to stay up all night and like pull an all-nighter of some kind. Yes. I remember, I think one time we, like I made it to like 10 o'clock before I fell asleep and then my dad or someone came to pick us up at like 11. And so I had like an hour of sleep and then I had to go home and do yard work because <laughs> it was a Saturday and that was hard and not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. We did that quite often, actually. I don't know how we did it. I don't know. Like, I don't want to do that anymore <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I would like to get some sleep, peace and quiet with no kids sleeping in my bed. Thank you. Yes. For me, staying up all night like over my life has had like sort of three different situations. Like there was mostly like hanging out with you, where it was like, I just want to stay up all night because we get to play video games, some video games that we don't own or like some game systems that we don't have. So like, I want to play the game with you. It's lots of fun. 
So I just don't want to stop playing. I just want to keep going. And so there's that. And then there's my time in university where I'm staying up all night because I have a homework assignment too. And I got to get it done if I want to get the grade. That's not as fun, but it's still kind of motivating in some way. And then there was the the other one where I was working on the rigs and working night shift. That was different because it was a night shift. So I would work all night and then I would sleep during the day. And that one, on the one hand, was the best experience because being awake all night is kind of nice because it can be like really calming and peaceful, but it wasn't a great job. So I agree now. I'd rather just sleep at night than be awake during the day. It's much better. I've never had a night job, so I think I've been blessed not to because I, I don't do well anymore staying up late. and Yeah, it's, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah, I used melatonin too to like help sleep. Yeah. Especially since it was like a week, I would do like a week of day shifts and then I have 24 hours off as I switch to a week of night shift and then I would have a week off. So it was just not great. It was pretty rough. Basically be switching sleep schedules every week. Yeah, that would be tough. I had a job where I did, I think it was two or three weeks straight of night shift work. We had to do after hours work. And that wasn't so bad because my commute, there's no traffic because I go to work at 9 a.m. and I'd come home at, or 9 p.m. and I'd come home at 5 a.m. in the morning. So my commute was breezy. Was that when you were working at the bank? No, I don't. I only worked night shift at the bank. A couple of times on renovations. Oh. That was when I was in Portland. But yeah, the bank, I suppose we did do some after-hour stuff as well. And I have done some snow removal jobs where I like push snow all night. That's the worst because it's like 20, 30 below <laughs> snowing and you're out pushing snow in the machine just to drive home in a cold vehicle. Like, <laughs> there's nothing. And everyone's at home Every- in their cozy bed. Cozy bed. Just like sleeping and you have to be at work and yeah and not only you're pushing snow probably while it's falling yeah you have to just come back and do it again same thing and you can never plan for it because it's like you only go if it snows so it's like you're not pushing snow and then it's like so you're just awake during the day and it's like okay we're pushing snow tonight it's like great (laughs) i'm gonna try and take as long of a nap as i can where I go to work tonight. That when you worked with Mark? Yeah. So those days are over. Uh, I don't push. Uh, the only place I push snow is for service or at my own place. <laughs> yeah. The first shift I had on the rigs was a night shift. I was trying to get a job on the rig so I could make money quickly. And it didn't seem to be lining up. It didn't seem to be going well. And so I started another job. And I had this job for two days. And then the morning of the third day, I get a phone call saying, hey, there's a position for you on the rig. You start tonight. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I knew I was going to be working a night shift and I had just slept because it was like nine or 10 in the morning. And so I went, I mean, I'd only been in this job for like two days. So I just went and I was like, hey, um, bye. <laughs> I'm going to go work on the rigs now. And they're like, okay. And that was that. And yeah, I went home and I slept. <laughs> and then I woke up and went to the rigs and it was, that was something else. Nice. Yeah, I've never... Never had the opportunity to work on the rigs. I know a lot of people in the peace country do work on the rigs or have worked on the rigs. So it's definitely a big cultural thing up there. Is either you work in the oil field or you're in forestry or that's really the two main businesses up there. 
I know there's a lot of like entrepreneurs in Grand Prairie and stuff that are very successful and stuff like that. But yeah, oil field or forestry are big up there. Yeah, it's not that great. So (laughs) I don't suggest it. Yeah. It's just a cash grab. Yeah. Well, yeah, people do make a lot of money there. They also spend a lot of money. Anyway, I wanted to say a couple more memories hanging out at your place. There's one moment that like sort of burned into my mind. We were, you know, just hanging out, playing in your room. And we probably stayed up late, but we didn't pull up, like stay up all night, I don't think. Anyway, we woke up, we're playing again, like still playing games. And then your sister came in to tell us something. <laughs> like your older sister, she opened the door and she went to say something. And then she's just like, oh man, guys. It's like... <laughs> Open a window. <laughs> I do remember that, actually. I do remember them now that you say that. I remember that as well. Yeah, we were teenagers. Yep. We probably didn't notice it because we were in there, right? But Yeah, just it's slowly getting worse and worse and worse as we just don't even notice our own smell. It's funny because I'm, I'm in young men's at church and that does happen if it's hot in a room and we're in a room and I come into the room. That does happen, that I smell those kind of smells. <laughs> I think it's a young young man kind of issue. Yeah. Your mom was always the best, though, Alex, At uh, when we go to your place. I remember on two separate occasions, she would come in and be like, you guys have been playing too many video games, so we're going to watch an educational movie <laughs> now. <laughs> we watched one about Mozart. <laughs> And then another one that I like that had a deep impression on me was a American Civil War movie called Gods and Generals. I remember that one. It was partly impressive like because a, it was two that was like disc. a two disc movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I remember that. Yeah, it was quite a bit. It was very long. I remember that. It was but it was good. It was like lots yeah. of action, but then also like pretty historical. Yeah. I actually looked for that one before, you know. Yeah. Watch it again as an adult. So you always understand things differently the older you get. Yeah. Yeah. One of the moments that impressed me the most about that film, I guess spoilers, it was pretty late in the film. So I don't know if it can be spoilers. It's a pretty old movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's right. So there was this, the main character, I guess a, a general in the North Army, I think. It was either like his niece, I think, or someone. She died as like a nine year old or something from scarlet fever or something like that. And then he was just like crying. And all of the men were like, wow, I've never seen him cry before. Like, he's like this heart in general that has been through so much, and I've never seen him cry. And then they're like, he's there crying. And it impressed me as like a teenager. But if I watched it again, I I would probably just be like full tears now. (laughs) It'd be probably so much worse. It's interesting how when you get older, you've experienced more and you've gone through different things. And then you're able to look at life differently. And I think like as teenagers or kids, you think you know everything and then you become an adult and you, you make like when you first become an adult, you're like, I still know everything. But then you're learning that you actually don't know everything. And then when now, like for me, when I deal with youth, it's like, was I like that when I was a youth? Like, did I think I knew everything too like that's that's crazy but yeah yeah i think so i felt like i was like that too yeah 
Yeah, I can definitely say that this feeling of like feeling like I know everything to like feeling like I know less, like the more that I experience um, doing a PhD definitely like was a fast track on like, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah. It's difficult in the sense that like, yeah, there's just like so much. It's anyway. Yeah. It's crazy to think like, I don't know who your typical viewer is, but with like God, he knows everything. That just blows my mind how much information that really means. And like <laughs> things that we don't even know about. It's crazy. Yeah. He's like, knows it perfectly. It's not like he just saw a Facebook video about a topic. <laughs> <laughs> he knows it, right? It's crazy. So I use a supercomputer sometimes with uh, with my PhD. And I was looking at their their statistics in terms of like the number of CPU cores and like nodes and like computing power and stuff they have. And then I was also looking at like their storage stuff, just like looking at like, oh, I wonder how much like storage is free on the volume that I'm using. So normally if you do this, you see something like GB for gigabytes or TB for terabytes. It was no, it was PT because it was petabytes. And I was like, oh man, they have like volumes that have petabytes of storage. And that's just. That's a lot. Like a, 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 yeah, a thousand terabytes. It's just so much, so much data. And that's how much is free. So much, so much information. Yeah. And now we have AI to help us go through that information. Yep. Yep. So Alex, as you've come to more understanding as an adult, how, how have your feelings towards Grand Prairie and the peace country changed over the years? Um, I don't know. Like, I think growing up, I enjoyed living there. And, but now... I haven't lived there in such a long time. I don't know if I could go back to live there. It always seems like lots of people that I knew have moved away. And so kind of going back, it wouldn't really be the same. I still have a lot of family that lives there, but there's a lot of family that has also moved to Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto area as well. So it would be different. And so I don't have any like, eight or anything like I wouldn't I just I just wouldn't go back because it's I have my own family here now and it's I mean unless something dramatic changes and we decide that we would move back there but there's so much that has changed and I've built a life here that is just as important as my life in Grand Prairie so yeah I think I don't know if that answers your question but yeah very insightful I don't know about that but <laughs> <laughs> And where you're living now is also slower paced, right? Like you're not in the heart of a city. So the feel of like trying, wanting to escape the city and go back to like Grand Prairie is not as strong because you live in a place that's not so urban. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's a, so I live in Spruce Grove, which is, it is a city. I would say it's maybe like half the size of Grand Prairie. But you're close, like 20 minutes away from Edmonton. There's another town, the only plane that's like right next to us. That's like a five minute drive. So you kind of get that small town feel, kind of. And uh, but you're close to Edmonton where we can drive in. So like yeah, uh, yesterday we went to Cabela's. I bought a tree, a new tree stand. Going to be hunting in, on our property. We we could go into town and go to those stores that aren't year but then we can come back and we don't have you know rush hour traffic that we are stuck in for 45 minutes right so 
Yeah, unless there's yeah. construction or something, but yeah. And then now that I have we so my wife and I we own a piece of property with with my in-laws. It's just north of Spruce Grove. We have 75 acres, so but we have lots of space to to do stuff on there. So it's so close to town, but it feels like you're hours out of town. Like it, it's so secluded. It's nice, yeah. right? But yeah, yeah, you can do lots of, lots of stuff there without anyone knowing. Yeah, and you don't have to deal with rush hour traffic on the Anthony Hende. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's a beautiful area. Spruce Grove, I like it. I'm glad we live here. So, yeah. Do you feel like the Peace Country has taught you any life lessons that you're willing to share? Or do you have any life lessons you've picked up along the way that you're willing to share? I was thinking about it before coming on the show. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is I knew a lot of people in the oil and, and gas industry and things like that. And just the, they they work so hard. And but they're always away from like what what matters most. I know it's not it's not bad to go and provide for your family, but for me, I I think I learned that prioritizing what matters most to me. I I learned from people that would go and work two weeks away from their families and then come back for a week. You know, I I saw there was lots of families and kids, my friends that had dads that would go do that and. It would be tough on them, right? And I was glad that I had my dad. He had his own business, and he could. He was home every day, and sometimes he would go and travel and do some business. But uh, he was most of the time he's home. My mom was home, and they were able to provide a good life for us. And and now I'm well. My main business. I'm a realtor. I still have to work, but I can also prioritize my family. They know that that I'm there for them. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Do you feel like that's a weakness of the peace country that so many of the oil and gas jobs have these days on days off life away from family sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. When I was just kind of finished high school, I went into construction. I was a taper, mudding and taping drywall. And there was quite a few people that I worked with that were a little unsavory. I will, I'll say I remember this one guy that I was working with, he would go around and he would look for women that their husbands were away on oil field jobs and he would go and spend time with them. So yeah, I think it can be a weakness. I mean, it depends on, on the family and stuff like that too, right? But with people being away, it makes things difficult on relationships and family and and even though they're they're out there working and providing for their family, they may be causing more stress than potentially finding something else. But there's so much work in that area that so many people depend on that work to provide, right? So it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah. But, so I guess you could call it a strength as well, right? Because the, there's so much work up there that people can... It's a bustling place and people want to work and make money and... So it brings new people into the area and then it grows. And then that means there's more construction jobs. You've got to build more homes. There's more businesses that need to come in to service people. And so, yeah, I mean, it, the oil and gas industry has is the reason why Grand Prairie is where it's at today. Yeah. 
I always forget your dad was in oil and gas, but he was home every day, right? Most of the time. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, because he worked in the measurement part of oil and gas. Right. Yeah, so typically jobs like that have days on and days off. A lot of them are especially in the extraction and things related to that kind of work. On the other end of it, especially on the service end of it, then it's not so much. Yep. He would calibrate the instruments that measure the product. Nice. Because if you could measure it, you can sell it. <laughs> yeah. And you got to do it different frequencies for different places. Like I know there were some sites that he would go to more frequently than others. And some of the little measurement tools that he would service, they were just junked up, like full of who knows what, just coming out of the ground and like just like clogged with sand and oil mixture, stuff like that. Those ones, of course, needed to be fixed more quickly. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting job. Is your, your dad is retired now or still working? He is still working, doing the same thing. <laughs> he's much. He's been in like the management part of measurement and calibration for many years, but he's still doing the same thing he did 20 years ago. Yeah. I think that's definitely a generational thing where you work in the same job for quite a long time, right? But whereas it kind of maybe our generation... We may switch between lots of different things in our life. Yeah. I also don't know historically, like at the time when our dad started the job in measurement and calibration, whether or not there was an official trade and education path for that job. There is now, but he's never done that training. And he's joked sometimes his bosses or management would say, hey, Ron, you've never done this training before. And he's like, well, if I go and do the training, then you have to pay me more. <laughs> And then, then he doesn't do the training. Because <laughs> they don't want to pay him more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't want to do the training because he's been doing it for 25 years yeah. or more, I guess. Yeah. True. If you have more education, yeah. they got to pay more, right? It's only fair. I was going to ask Alex, what did your dad do for work running his own business? He was a computer programmer. So he would write different programs for companies. And he wrote a lot of programs for Warehouser and other wood producing plants and stuff like that. And they would use the, his programs for tracking product and, and things like that. I, I believe that's, that's kind of what I remember. And he still does a little bit of that, but he now works for the city of Grand Prairie doing similar things. He's kind of in that IT department and making programs for the city and things like that and helping the city run smoothly and, and things like that, various different projects. Yeah. Alex, do you have any other thoughts before we wrap up? Mm, I don't think so. Thank you so much, Alex, for taking some time to talk with us and share a bit about your story and to reminisce with Preston and I on a lot of formative experiences that we had at your place and ours. It's been great catching up with you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time for yeah. me. <laughs> it's been great. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun. Yes. Thank you for joining us on our show today. We're very grateful to those who listen and welcome back to season three. We hope that you enjoy the episodes that we have coming for you this season. For anyone who has feedback or would like to ask us questions or write in a story for us to share, you can email us at lifenorth of the 54th at gmail.com. You can also go to our website at peacecountrylife.ca slash feedback and you can submit feedback that way. So thank you. Alex, we hope to see you around soon. Thank you. Yeah. See you guys in person. Be nice. Yes. Thank you again. Take care.
Bye.